What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Go. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Pavali, coming at you this time with and Andy Bailey. Um, we are going to keep our season preview train rolling. We're moving on to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which what are we going to talk about with them, right? Nothing really happened this offseason. We are very excited to be joined by Fear the Sword news editor and staff writer and also the co-host of the Chase Down podcast with Justin Rowan, Carter Rodriguez. How are you doing tonight, Carter? I'm doing good. Uh, I I heard you refer to Andy as Bales before we started, and I really like that, and I'm going to roll with that, I think, the rest of the way, if it's, it's not too pretty. I'm really annoyed that it hasn't caught on. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I think I've been calling him Bales for like three years now. I would like there to be some kind of backstory like where he's just unreliable, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bales Given the last couple again. weeks of podcasting, that could be accurate. Yeah, it might be. I, I don't even know how it came up, but Bales just sounded cool. So we found, oh, I like it. We found someone else that likes it, so I think that means that it has to be a nickname. We'll put it on his basketball reference page. It's sure, I think, I think we can we can lock it in, and I've continued my long-running tradition of starting podcasts off-topic. Um, that's how we like it here. Tangents are Good. fun. Um, Good. But to get on topic, we're, we, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers, and Andy and I have been kind of like holding off on this preview for the longest time. We wanted to sync up and do it, uh, but it just seemed like there was so much going on and everything – kept changing for for a team that entered the summer with very little flexibility uh, they became a very fluid uh, product so to start off on this general point how are you feeling in the aftermath of everything that's happened not just the Kyrie Irving trade and the return they got for it but even the stuff that's come out about LeBron James perhaps being frustrated with the front office about the Cavaliers being unable to trade for Butler or Paul George about the Dan Gilbert continuing to just devalue his general managers, just kind of this all encompassing 
in initial impression? What did you have of it for their off season? Well, I mean, it's been a tire fire most of the way, right? Like, there's no other way to say it. And you have Griff getting fired, so that, like, that was a bummer. You have uh, LeBron unhappy that Griff was fired. Okay, that's a bummer with rumors of him, you know, leaving to uh, join the Lakers after this season, swirling. And then Kyrie demands a trade, which I just think everyone was blindsided by. And everything just seems to get worse and worse. Their big signing on the first day of free agency was Jose Calderon. And all of a sudden... You feel all right. Like, it's not that bad, uh, the situation. Like, given where I think most of the fan base was at, which was, like, pretty much already at the point where, like, okay, they're going to get a really unfavorable return for Kyrie because that's, cause look at the returns for the other stars that were traded in the last uh, nine months or so. And they're going to be worse. Uh, LeBron's going to leave. And Dan Gilbert's going to mismanage this team to hell uh, until, he, until he sells the team or dies. <laughs> that's, that's what it looked like. Uh, and that's the way people felt, honestly. And all of a sudden, uh, Kobe Altman, this rookie GM, makes a really, really good trade. And uh, I, I mean, I guess to some extent, the trade will ultimately be judged based on when Isaiah Thomas comes back and at what health. But when that Brooklyn pick got involved, all of a sudden, there's just kind of this sense of like, oh, maybe they could work something out. Uh, and that really was not the sense for much of the season. I think, you know, no one's given this team an A for the off season because it was a disaster in a lot of ways. But I think you, if you're a Cavs fan, after all the negative stuff happened, if I if I were to tell you that you would be feeling okay, I think that's a that's a win given given the shit storm. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Uh, given the crap storm that this. Uh, that this team's been in. Uh, yeah, if you, I think people feel okay. I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's funny, the the karma that uh, the universe serves up. Uh, Cavs fans, sp- including myself, by the way, spend all their time making fun of Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> and then we are served with them as our hope, as our, as our hope for the future. It, it, I, I would, I agree with almost everything you said there it did seem like it was kind of chaotic until at the time the trade was first broke i just thought oh my gosh cleveland hit a home run and even as more and more stories come out all over the internet like oh my gosh isaiah's hip is worse than we thought and uh who knows if he'll even play until january or february even if he comes back that late and isn't quite himself i i think the worst this trade can get is like a solid double i i still think they got pretty good value based on the situation that they were in uh, with their back kind of against the in, in the corner because of a, of a trade demand. Um, ultimately, I don't know how much of Eurobasket you've watched, but oh, if they I end up with somebody like if they end up with Luka Doncic, man, <laughs> that guy looks so good to me. So I just I, I'm with you. I think the return is is really strong in this deal. Yeah, I mean, you look at it from and what's interesting is as more stuff leaks out about I, Isaiah's hip. It does make you wonder if maybe we just processed that whole Cavs renegotiation thing wrong, because uh, it's either worse than we thought, or it's as or it's as bad as Isaiah or as Danny Ainge told the Cavs. You know, it's I mean this has been such an interesting off season in a lot of ways because I would like to think that having covered this team for three years now uh, and having followed them my whole life, you know, you get pretty good at figuring out what stories are legitimate and 
kind of you kind of figure out who's at the root of you know who's uh, which sources are aligned with which journalist. You kind of just figure that out over time, right? And with almost everything that's happened this summer, I have no clue what the truth is. Yeah, like, it's tough to find like the common thread through all yeah, the Isaiah like, stories. Yeah, nor or even with the David Griffin stories, or even with the LeBron Kyrie stories. Yeah. what their rift is and what Kyrie's motivation was. You have all these different uh, genuinely reputable journalists coming out and saying completely different stuff. It's been just mind-boggling trying to sort through. And I mean, from my perspective, it's just been really confusing because you kind of just have to pick whatever, like it's a really ugly thing because with this off season, I feel like you just had to pick whatever narrative you like best because you can find a good journalist that'll support you. That's like basically yeah. any LeBron team in a nutshell in the offseason, yeah. it feels like. That, I was going to ask if there's any sense of relief, if, if he does leave, to not be surrounded by all that kind of drama. I think if anyone tells you that, like I, I, Justin has, uh, Justin Rowan, my esteemed co-host, has kind of hinted at that I in think, the past. I think that may be where I got it from, actually. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, and I just, I think it's all a coping mechanism, to be honest, <laughs> when people say that. Like, it's way fun to have LeBron on your team, like. If yeah. you haven't, you should try it. It's great. <laughs> like, your team's always interesting. Yeah, it's tiring, but, like, how tiring is it? It's basketball. <laughs> like, yeah, on. and you're, like, you're gonna be, no matter how dramatic it is, you're going to be in the finals every year. So Yeah, so it's it's fun. Uh, you get to watch really, really good basketball, even though I, sometimes I think people pretend the Cavs don't play good basketball. Um, and it's like, no, they're really, really good. Uh, it's not – they don't just out-talent everyone. They – they make a lot of sense as a roster, even if it doesn't kind of fit what you like. And they run good actions when they run them. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd feel relieved. Uh, am I going to be heartbroken like I was when I was seven or you know eighteen when LeBron left the first time? No, because I'm a, I'm an adult now. <laughs> you know, you I've I've had my heart broken, and now I just know you know I'll be bummed for a minute, and then I'll get over it because it's just basketball. But, uh, you know, I don't think a sense of relief. I think anyone who's who is selling a sense of relief, uh, A, forgets how little fun it is to suck at basketball, and, <laughs> and B, is probably subconsciously trying to cope. Well, and, and the other thing is, is with, with this Nets pick, it, it, does it really have to be a matter of are we relieved or are we worried? It, it, it better equips the Cavs, and I would think the, the view from their fans to just – Go with the flow. You know, if LeBron comes back, now you have this incredible trade chip that could land you another impact player or two. And if, if he does leave, oh, you know, we still have SETI and we have this draft pick and we still have the best contract in the NBA with Jay Crowder. And I, even the Isaiah Thomas situation, we talk about him in the context of being healthy, how there's a very good chance that he would be a lateral move from Kyrie Irving on offense, if not close to it. He might even be better on offense. Yeah, it's tough for me to believe that he would necessarily replicate the past two seasons. That was one of my, like, arguments for maybe the Celtics would regress no matter what just because he was so good these past two years. But let's look at this injury. You know, if he doesn't play for a half season, that might not be the worst thing in the world because the point guard market is still oversaturated at the starting position. He's been talking about getting max money. If you're going to get him for a lot cheaper than he expected – to sign for or a lot cheaper than some other starting point guards in the league. Now you've also kind of created that flexibility. And so I still think there's, I I still think there's a possibility the Cavs will be better off both in the short and long term 
But the fact that this flexibility exists at all would say to me, if I was a Cavs fan, yeah, whatever happens, happens. This organization, Dan Gilbert, is uh, this terrible overlord, but we're at least equipped, it looks like, on paper to handle whatever scenario much better than we were a couple months ago. Yeah, I mean, and that's just kind of the... the I don't think if Kyrie Irving had never made this trade request, we'd be having this conversation, uh, you know, about... Uh, you know, I don't think the Cavs would have ever done that deal without their backs pushed up against the wall. But since it's there, yeah, it's certainly interesting. And then you look at the fact that we all know that there's a free agency bubble that's burst. Uh, there's not a lot, like half the yeah. leagues to be in the luxury tax. And there's not that same cultural narrative momentum for the Cavs to pay Thomas as there would have been with the Celtics. Right? Like, I'm not crazy in saying that. No, that's like, definitely true. The 100%. Celtics had a lot more pressure to pay him based on results. I, I, I don't know a lot in this world, but I'm pretty sure Isaiah Thomas is not going to be fifth in the MVP voting this year, even if he played all year. Yeah. It's just like they, they your, value, they your were, value kind of depresses at this point. Yeah, sorry. They were under even more pressure to pay him, too, because not only was he valuable to them, but you went and you traded away the right to draft Markel Fultz. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's just a really interesting scenario. And then, I mean, the Cavs just have so many options. Like, this pick, even if the, I mean, if it lands high, and here's the question, man, uh, this is terrible, terrible radio, but if this lottery reform passes to flatten the top three picks, uh, does that go into effect this upcoming draft? 2019. 2019. Okay, 2019. Okay, because I was about to say, if it does, Jesus, that Nets pick looks even more valuable. Because they're almost certainly not going to have the worst record, uh, even if they're even if they uh, are not good again. But I guess never I think mind. it's. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated by how many people are dismissing their chance to have the, the worst record. Actually. Yeah, dude. I, I think it's I'm totally still very you. much in the conversation. There's been a lot of pro Boston writers that are like, "Oh, it's just going to be six or seven. Yeah, so it's not that big of deal anyway. That's just what <laughs> Danny, that, that's. They're just reading off Danny Ainge's uh, talking points on the email chain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I, I think that's very much in play that that's the number one pick. Yeah, I mean, I, it, you look anyway. at that roster and they they have a lot of problems still. And uh, I mean, Timofey Mozgov is going to be their starting center. Uh, they're going to have J- a Jeremy Lin, D'Angelo Russell backcourt, which is going to surrender probably 190 points for 100 <laughs> possessions. I'm just yeah, serious that. That I think the basketball intelligentsia is overrating the Nets a little bit. And I am, too, in the sense that I just think we all want to see them do well because they're running, being run really well right now. And we know what a bad hand they were dealt, this current uh, organization was dealt. So I just think we inherently say, oh, they're making smart moves, so they're going to be better. But, like, you don't jump. I think they're over-under... Uh, was at like 28 and a half to start the season. They won 20 games last year. You don't jump eight and a half games because you added D'Angelo Russell while losing your best player. Yeah. That's an enormous it, leap. So that's a I, good way to summarize it. I, I, uh, I think that they're very well run and I agree with you there. And I think a lot of these moves are good long-term moves, but yeah. it's kind of crazy to say that in a vacuum, D'Angelo Russell for Brooke Lopez is going to make you better right now. Like that's just kind of hard for me to buy. Especially when you already had a one of your best players that's best in that role that he's going to play. Like there's going to be yeah. uh, some redundancy there. So anyway, this isn't a Nets podcast. Uh, the point is, uh, I think the Cavs do have a lot of flexibility here, 
And I think they could even, if if LeBron decides to stick around, if they show out in the finals, they might just keep the pick. I mean, one thing that I think we are kind of underrating when we're talking about the Cavs' current roster construction is this whole thing was kind of built in the last three years to say, as LeBron James fades, this young star point guard Kyrie Irving is going to rise, right? There isn't that young star to rise anymore. They're, they're a team for the now, uh, more than they've ever been, even though they, in terms of their, their actual players, uh, other than other than Chetty Osmond. So there's a real chance, like, if, if Michael Porter is there, they might just take him, right? If there's not a really good trade on the market. Uh, so I just think they have a lot of options, and they're able to cope. And when this trade went down, I wrote something along the lines of that the worst part about losing a superstar is the first year because your records was good the year before. You're not getting a top rookie. You're going to be bad with nothing to build towards. You're just burning a year. That's what the Bulls are doing. They're burning a year. Sure, Markinen was the seventh pick, but they're not getting a, they didn't get a blue chipper, right? The Cavs are now set up where if the worst possible thing happens, there's at least something to look forward to next year. And I think that, as a fan of the team and for that fan base, that's kind of invaluable. I I completely agree with you there. And and what I think what we can't forget either too is even when you're looking at them specifically in the now, it's so easy to kind of downplay their roster because we're evaluating everything they do closely to what the Warriors have, more so than any other team in the league still. It's just you look at this Cavs roster and we talk about Kevin Love as a liability. Kevin Love's a liability against maybe one or two teams in the league right now. One of them just happens to be the Warriors. And they're, the Cavaliers is, I guess, I don't want to use the word inability, but maybe reluctance or how they're ill-equipped to match a death squad lineup unless they're prepared to throw LeBron at center. Like, that's a concern basically for only the Warriors. This team is still, if Isaiah Thomas doesn't play for half the year, if Isaiah Thomas doesn't play at all, they're still just going to steamroll the rest of the Eastern Conference. So if you're going to go out and then all of a sudden trigger this rebuild, you might as well do it, go off with a bang with a fourth straight NBA Finals appearance. And it's just so funny how much of that still gets lost because because you have LeBron James and because of how the league and the NBA Finals have unfolded the past three years, it's, oh, but they're not the Warriors. They didn't do this to get the Warriors. And it was the same thing with the Paul George-Jimmy Butler trades. Those situations seems like they were squandered, but... The Cavaliers, given their situation, their lack of flexibility, that, oh, excuse me, flexibility, I can't speak, their lack of trade chips, you're not supposed to go out and get players like that. But because they have to be viewed in this vacuum with the Warriors, everything they do that's geared toward the now or everything that we do when we're trying to project what happens next season just doesn't seem to hold as much flash anymore. Yeah, what's funny too about you saying that is like, I, every now and again, I'll, talk, I'll see someone talk about how about the Cavs, like kind of exorbitant payroll and say, oh, you know, they they mismanaged. They have no flexibility or whatever. And it's like, well, no, this is just like a CBA that's functioning properly. <laughs> the Cavs shouldn't <laughs> be able to go at another max guy. They're ridiculously good. Like just because the Warriors were able to add Kevin Durant due to one of the all time weirdest series of events uh, doesn't mean that the Cavs should just be able to do the same. Like, they really shouldn't be, like, in any normal world, like, I thought that Cavs team last year, in terms of the way they played in the postseason, like, they were one of the most talented teams we've ever seen. 
they just played maybe the most talented team we've yeah. ever seen. And that in a lot of years they would have won the title. I think almost every year they were amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. We've we've talked about the trade and the future a lot. Um, I'm really curious to hear a Cleveland expert's take on Kevin Love. I. Um, 13-14, his last season in Minnesota, he was third in the entire NBA in both player efficiency rating and box plus minus. He was fourth in win shares per 48 minutes. Um, so, he, I mean, he was argue, arguably a top five player in the league that season. I'm really curious to see what he looks like as the clear number two for at least the first couple of months before Isaiah comes back and probably afterward if Isaiah's not the same guy he was last season this is this is maybe the most intriguing storyline to me for cleveland what is the lebron kevin love one two punch look like i think i'm gonna bum you out andy because <laughs> uh i think uh i think we've done this song and dance before and Kyrie has missed time before and tyron lewis talked a big game about oh we're gonna get it kevin this post his elbow touches again and we're going to feature him more, and he's going to have—he's going to be great for us. And to be clear, he is great for them. He's really, really good. Uh, LeBron and Kevin Love lineups with Kyrie off the floor uh, outscored teams by 15 points for 100 possessions. That being said, uh, this is an offense that— uh, the way the Cavs should design their offense is a really interesting debate to me because a lot of people say, oh, look at what Boston does, or look at what these other systems do that produce a ton of points uh, and look really nice. Why can't the Cavs do that? And my answer is the Cavs offense is better than those teams. What they do works uh, really, really well. They're a top three offense in the league every year. And really what their offense functionally is, is leveraging literally everything they do around LeBron's strengths. Uh, And unless LeBron is willing to cede some of that control, because, I mean, if you look at LeBron's shot chart and where he likes to hold the ball, it's all on the left elbow and left wing. Guess where Kevin Love likes to hang out? Yeah. The left elbow and the left wing. Uh, so he's got to see control the offense to Love to make that happen. And they have to kind of – they really have to change fundamentally what they do. And, I mean, that's what Zach Lowe is reporting, that they're redesigning their offense to feature him more. But I'm just kind of at the point where I, I, I kind of have to see it to believe it because – you know, a lot of people are, you know, have told me, oh, well, Lou has no choice now but to feature Love. And I was like, in lineups with, in bench units with just Love and Kyrie and LeBron both sitting, uh, I saw a lot of Delhi Tristan Thompson pick and rolls. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is not, this has been a long running thing. And what my question has always been is that are we conflating what's best for Kevin Love's offense and efficiency for what's best for the Cleveland Cavaliers offense and efficiency, because those aren't one and the same necessarily. Is this even about efficiency? This seems more about ego because the, he's still going to put up points by playing the role that he's been playing. You're going to get a ton of wide open catch and shoot looks with LeBron. And as Lowe pointed out, some, some of this other stuff without Irving soaking up as many touches, maybe he'll get more rolls to the basket. And yes, maybe there'll be a little wiggle room for some more elbow touches, but offense isn't the issue. And Lowe pointed this out too. So I don't want to make it seem like we're just quoting his article word for word. 
Kevin Love's defense is the problem. So unless you're going to rework the defense or rework Kevin Love's defense to make that a better fit to where you can survive with him at center against more of these Western Conference teams because there's not really an Eastern Conference team that will worry you in those lineups, that that seems like all this talk about, well, we need, we need to rework the offense or we're doing this. Kevin Love's going to be more involved. Kevin Love doesn't need to be more involved. And I'm talking about for his own sake too. The numbers will still be there. He put up – good numbers last year so it's just and now he's the number two option until Isaiah comes back so those numbers will just go up by default it just seems like we're kind of moving these goalposts uh, at this point when we're talking about the need to reinvent any part of Cleveland's offense yeah that's I mean that's kind of what I've always gone to and this is something that uh, our former editor at Fear the Sword David Zavak always you know this is his big Kyrie bit is like you kind of make the argument, oh, Kyrie needs to needs to move the ball more. And he'd always just say, why? Their offense is really, really good when he plays. And it's like, it's a simplistic argument. And obviously he, he would get into it a little deeper. But like ultimately, like that matters, right? That they're really, 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 really good on offense. And, I, I, you know, and I'll hesitate to say that Love's defense is a problem against almost anyone but the Warriors. Um I, I would. I'm. Ha- I'm more than comfortable at, with him at center if I'm the Cavs against any other team in the league. I really am. Uh, and honestly, defensively, he plays center. Uh, they they put Tristan Thompson on the range here, guys. More often than not, they don't want love chasing people around on the perimeter, and that's what modern fours do. So, I don't know. Uh, I I just think that I think Love's going to play almost the same role he's played, maybe with a slightly higher usage. And uh, a lot of this is just empty talk, which, sorry, Andy, I don't think we're getting our Minnesota well, loss back. I'll end this segment by saying uh, I will laugh at both of you when, when Cleveland runs a couple of elbow um, drop-offs from Love to LeBron, like Jokic to Gary Harris. Well, it'll be the first three possessions of the game, and then they'll never do it again. <laughs> Maybe I'm putting too much trust in uh, Tyron Lue to, to get a little bit more creative. Um but yeah, I think you're right. And speaking of Kevin Love at center lineups, um, how would you flesh out the rest of that five? Obviously now, I think this is kind of an underrated part of the trade is getting Jay Crowder. And we've talked a little bit about how Cleveland, they're fine against every team in the league, but the Warriors. Um, but this is a guy that I think helps them a little bit against the Warriors. I, I don't think I would be ready to say that they're like on an even par with Golden State yet, but at least this is one more wing that can guard like two or three or four positions. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing that was really funny after this trade came out to me is that a lot of people would a lot of people wrote articles that said, "Hey, Jay Crowder's probably going to help a little bit on Kevin Durant," and then of course you have those assholes over in Warriors Twitter that are like, "Huh, KD stopper? I don't think so." And it's like there's a huge difference between yeah. KD Stopper and Richard Jefferson but. on an island. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's a great point. Like, you don't have to make KD shoot like 20% from the field. He just has to sh- not shoot 70% from the field. And the series <laughs> looks a lot closer. Yeah. I mean, that's like, absolutely true. I think there's a monumental jump from those minutes to what Jay Crowder can possibly provide. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, and I, I don't want to take it too far out of the spirit of the segment, but Tyron Lue's got a really interesting rotational uh, rotation to figure out right now because this team probably could use a three-for-one trade. I don't think anyone really expected 
uh, the Cavs to get three players back for Kyrie. Yeah. Uh, so you look at their rotation right now. Uh, they got Thomas and Rose at the point guard. They've got Jr. and Corver at shooting guard. They've got LeBron and Crowder at the three. But Crowder's going to have to play every single backup four minute because Crowder or because LeBron plays too many minutes. You can't just put Crowder in for eleven minutes, you know. So yeah. he's going to have to play almost every single backup four minute just to get to like twenty eight or thirty. And then you've got uh, Thompson and Fry at the five, and it's like. You hear rumors that Dwayne Wade might come midseason. It's like, who the hell's sitting? Yeah, yeah, that's a good is question. Is there any chance that uh, Tyron Lou is like basketball progressive enough to to play without a point guard? Yeah, like I mean, without a traditional point guard. I mean, if Derrick Rose ends up being your only option for the first part of the season, I think you'll become progressive. Excuse me, Jose Calderon might listen to that. <laughs> that oh, I sorry to make that aside, but why was Felder. he signed ten seconds into free agency? That the Jose that, Calderon deal was just so, so overwhelmingly random and stupid. Was that while uh, was that while Griffin was kind of in limbo? No, no, that was after that was him, Griffin or that was after he was gone. That was okay. a, that was Altman's first move, and I was like, oh, <laughs> we got a lemon here, and then so he he's not that one of the best superstar trades. <laughs> that we've ever seen. So it's like, all right, all right, Kobe, we'll we'll give you a pass for Calderon. But yeah, so like, like Kobe Bryant. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think Lou is Lou is for uh, any detractions he has. He's not afraid to mess with lineups, and he's not afraid to uh, hurt egos either. Uh, I mean, if you look at the game three against the Pacers in the playoffs last year, where they were down like twenty-seven, and LeBron led them back for a win. Uh, Kyrie and Love's asses were planted on the bench the th- entire third and fourth quarters. He didn't play. He was just like, "Yeah, sorry, you're not you're not bringing it. You're out." This guy's uh, if he's anything, he's really really confident in making decisions. Uh, he's not really afraid to to make those big swings. I mean, hell, he played LeBron at center a decent amount in the finals, and he, I mean, he's played Jr. as a and Shump as nominal point guards. Uh, and obviously, I don't think Shump's going to play this year, uh, which will be every Cavs fan's dream to hear. I was going to say, Cavs Twitter is very down on Shump. Well, that's because he's not very good at basketball. <laughs> the uh, idea of LeBron with four other wings is really intriguing to me. Yeah, I think that's like the ultimate switchy uh, doom. But I mean, the thing is, like, I actually really like LeBron at the four next to Tristan if we're building the most optimal defensive lineup because that guy can switch, he can rebound, yeah. he can defend the post. Uh, and he's actually a really good roll man on the pick and roll uh, per synergy. I, I don't have the percentiles in front of me, but. He he does he has learned to finish as a role man and he knows his limitations on that end. Plus, if they if the team does have you spread out and stretched at every other position, uh, a one on one battle for an offensive rebound, Tristan Thompson is going to win more often than not. Yeah, and that would be a luxury that that sort of death lineup would have that a lot of others don't. Because a lot of times when you go small, you think, okay, I'm sacrificing rebounding for switchability and and speed and. They wouldn't necessarily have to do that if they kept Tristan Thompson in that lineup. So I think I would probably agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, Tristan, I, it's funny. Like, Tristan's the, the guy that I think Cavs fans are so much higher on than everyone else. Uh, and I think it's because deep down, I think they know that this is his most optimal deployment. Like, everyone else kind of sees his limitations and sees, like, oh, if he were on any other team, he wouldn't have the impact he does. But it's like, the Cavs just really need him to do the stuff he does, and 
there's no one else on the t- team equipped to do the things he does well better, other than probably yeah. just LeBron, who you really don't want to be having doing garbage work, yeah, uh, and burning himself out guarding centers. So, yeah, I, I, Tristan's a really really important piece for this team, and uh, I think that that will be something that Cavs fans really feel it more than anyone else because they feel his absence when he's not out there uh, when you're watching them over an 82-game schedule. Yeah. Well, I have a soft spot for him because my uh, one of my college coaches called me into his office one time and said I was the garbage man on the team. So, Hell yeah. I've got, I've got a soft spot for anybody who plays like that. But anyway, go ahead, Dan. Oh, no, I was just going to say I did agree with that. And the it's not an ideal matchup, but when you talk about who Tristan Thompson needs to guard as that five in those smaller lineups, Tristan Thompson against Draymond Green, yes, it's a mismatch, but I, it's just not the worst mismatch when you're strictly looking at uh, Tristan Thompson's defense. Things might get a little murky uh, because Thompson may allow Green to roam a little bit more in the defensive end himself, or it's a, a player that the Warriors are able to stash one of their other wings on, but defensively, I, I, Carter was spot on there. It is probably Cleveland's uh, best option with that five. And, I, again, I don't think the gap between Thompson guarding Draymond Green is really going to be that much larger uh, than it would be if you're trying to stick LeBron at the five and have him guard Draymond almost full-time. Yeah, and it's worth noting, this is a big Justin Rowan uh, observation that I feel like not enough people have talked about. Is One of the reasons Tristan had such a tough finals is that he had to guard Draymond Green full-time because LeBron had to guard Durant full-time. Guess who doesn't have to guard Durant full time anymore? You can yeah. you can you can put Jay Crowder on Durant and say, "Hey, go do your best sport," and then put LeBron on Draymond and then just stash Tristan on. You have a lot more opportunities to get creative after this trade uh, defensively. Where if Livingston's out there, I guarantee you they're gonna they're gonna put Tristan on him and and say go defend the rim and rebound. Because I think Draymond kind of got him out of his game by forcing him to float so far out so consistently. What are what are kind of the I what are kind of the question marks for this team beyond Isaiah Thomas's health now? Is it looks like the starting five will be easy to hammer out and then the sixth man that that's easy as well, but, but when you're going deeper into the roster, like what are you looking to see is there someone who just needs to pop and I guess you can't even really say that because they don't have as you mentioned before these players with upside so when you say we're looking for someone to really burst it's going to be a Jeff Green or it's going to be a Derek Rose uh, so it's, it's just they're in a weird situation when you move beyond those first six maybe seven players yeah I mean I think in terms of question marks uh, Derek Rose's fit with LeBron is going to be really interesting and uh, we know that like Derrick Rose is at this point in his career where he's now gotten to the point where he's very divisive, I think it's fair to say. Uh, a lot of people think he is just not a rotational player anymore. and But he does have these very clear outlined strengths, um, but then obviously very clear outlined weaknesses. Like there's just no, He's like a player of extremes. There's nothing that's just okay about him. He's either really good at this one thing or just trash dumpster fire bad and uh seeing the Cavs try to figure out a way to leverage the good while mitigating the bad i think is going to be really fascinating um we know he can still get to the rim i'm interested to see how much they try to use him and lebron as pick and roll partners uh 
because LeBron operates out at short roll really well, and uh, Rose still, if he's good at anything, it's getting to the getting to the basket. And I think he can force those switches and those destabilizations that come with LeBron as the screener. But that's going to mean LeBron has to be the screener, something he's sometimes a little hesitant to do in the regular season. That's pretty interesting. I, for some reason, I hadn't thought of the idea of a Derrick Rose, LeBron James pick and roll. It's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, it makes uh, a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, go ahead. You can get downhill uh, with LeBron as your screener because he gets he has such gravity as the roll man. Uh, and it'll be a little different than a Kyrie-LeBron pick and roll where Kyrie forces the switch, then dances for a little bit. Like yeah. I think he'll be able to turn the corner and get to the rim really quick. And it'll be up to him to, you know... Uh, not be an idiot and distribute the ball well uh, to wide open shooters that are that'll dot the perimeter, uh, and you know I ideally he'll try on defense. I think we're pretty much past the point where we're counting on that right uh, to be a decent yeah. defender, but uh, I don't think he's going to be a lot worse than Kyrie was. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, and I'm really interested to see what he looks like once Thomas comes back because Lou is all of a sudden in a really weird spot because if he's playing Isaiah Thomas, even a low, like 34 minutes a game is Derek Rose going to be okay at 14 minutes a game. Cause I don't think you can ever play him with Thomas. That'd be a yeah. defensive nightmare. So all of a sudden, like you're just going to have a lot of egos getting checked on this roster because they've got too many players right now. Yeah. And, and what know, if, uh, Derek, go ahead, Dan. Derek Rose signed. He signed amid all like the Kyrie Irving stuff, right? Like that was it. He wasn't Kyrie Irving was still on the team when he signed, but the trade rumor was known. So he might have put pen to paper, kind of under the guise that oh, I'll still be able to get even if I'm coming off the bench, like 25 minutes or something. If he yeah. did sign before the Irving trade rumors comes out, it's oh well, he kind of knew what he was getting into anyway. But now. That, that That is an interesting dynamic with Thomas. I didn't even think about that. I thought about his fit next to LeBron, about whether LeBron can turn him or Jeff Green into even a close-to-league-average shooter off the ball. That would probably be one of the best achievements of his entire career if yeah. that happened. But uh, the, the Derrick Rose thing, I don't, if the Cavaliers make him a rotation player again or if he even appears to be of average value or above average value, that, that'll really be something. And at least regardless of how many minutes he plays, this is the role that I think even Derek Rose pessimists wanted for him. Let's see how he works as that guy who just comes off the bench and attacks second units. But we need, obviously, Isaiah Thomas to be healthy uh, for that to happen. And I think almost this injury to Thomas could do a slight disservice to him because maybe he won't get, if this turns into a season-long issue or if Isaiah's on this minutes cap, I think Rose needs to be against these second stringers or needs to be in that sort of small burst role so that he can still have value in today's NBA because you said it, the only thing he does really well right now is get to the rim. He doesn't even shoot that well around the rim because his release points are so bizarre. It's hard for him to draw fouls and just get these these quality looks and his takeoff points are weird. So he, he needs this, I think. And if Thomas uh, isn't ready to rock for a good part of the season, I think that's actually going to do a big disservice uh, to his value, individual value, to this Cavaliers team. I, it's really an interesting dynamic. And, like, I just feel like the Wade thing is just looming. Like, if Wade gets bought out and he wants to go to Cleveland, they will sign him. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that throws that rotation into even more um, more of a logjam. 
No, yeah, you, buy, I, you buy out Derrick Rose and you use Wade. I as think your you player. have to. I, I bet Derrick Rose gets bought out if this happens because you just can't carry that all that, and Wade would just become your de facto backup point guard. Uh, How long is Calderon's deal? One year. Uh, but you can't. So you're you think they buy to, out Rose before him? Yeah, because I think Rose would become a problem. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Calderon will not be a problem. Yeah, he's not going to put up a fuss. That's a good point. Calderon cannot believe he's still in the league and got paid just not to play for the Warriors last year. <laughs> that was amazing. Like, so, like, this guy is just banking it right now. So, it's just a really interesting... I really don't... I really think the Cavs should still be pursuing a three-for-one trade. I think one of the details that has not been talked about enough uh, over the course of this uh, offseason for the Cavs is that by acquiring that Brooklyn pick, they're now allowed to trade their own 2018 first. And uh, there, there's value there. Like, you can flip if you can flip some salary and in Iman Shumpert, in Channing Frye, and in Richard Jefferson, you can get to $20 million in matching salary. I so guess, this, I guess for sorry. them the weird point would be, because I would tell you right now, that's a great point that I hadn't even given much thought to, because right now they could probably kick around the tires on like a Kent Bazemore or a Wesley Matthews deal with that type of package. And either of those guys would be good for this team. But when LeBron kind of has you in limbo, do you want to make that commitment? Wesley Matthews would be interesting because he only has a maximum of two years left on his deal. So if LeBron James leaves and we're going to assume he opts in, you, you, you eat it for a season. So that might be an, an interesting deal that they could pursue because it still seems like they need that extra guaranteed hustle on the wing because some people think Shumpert provides it. It's definitely not consistent well, enough not on defense. <laughs> yeah, and he turns into Andre Roberson when he's shooting threes sometimes. It's so it's so bizarre. J.R. Smith, uh, he played out of his mind sometimes defensively during that 2016 playoff run, but you're not going to get these plus contributions from him. Uh, Chetty Osman, I don't really know how much they're going to use him. I'm in love with him, though. So that'd be interesting. So if you can go out and kind of turn those salaries into another wing, that is probably the play. I, you're not going to like hearing this, guys. But if the mellow situation continues to get ugly <laughs> and uglier and uglier, and maybe he doesn't report to camp and he still says he'll only go to two teams, a salary dump in a late first might be the best the Knicks are getting. I don't know who thinks they're getting more. I, I just That's I've, my point. That's my point. And if, if the Cavs are in full... LeBron retention mode. I I think they're going to still kick the tires on a three or a four for one to go chase Mello. And this is something that I've talked about that even though Mello, we all know he's got his huge problems. Like the Cavs, the biggest key to beating the Warriors, other than not giving up 170 points for 100 possessions, is you need bucket getters because acute offense doesn't work against their defense. They're too good, they're too smart, they're too switchy, they're too fast. You need someone like Kyrie to just get some bullshit, like, to go in. Like, to, to use an uncharitable term. And without, if, if they can't survive with Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, defensively, they might need one more volume scorer. So, even though it would be a sexy pick and a, you know, a, a, you know, a PR kind of trade for the Cavs and a please don't leave us LeBron kind of trade, there might be some utility there. Uh, I just think if that gets uglier and uglier, they, they're going to kick the tires. Uh, we, I, uh, they can make that trade happen tomorrow if the Knicks decide they want to uh, sell. And they can sell a salary dump and a first-rounder uh, to their fan base. It's interesting to how, see what uh, the value is going to be. How would Cavs fans feel if 
I brought this up like two years ago, probably, or maybe a year ago. The possibility of Tristan Thompson being involved in a Mellow trade. Is, nope. is that still just insane? Yeah, Thompson's better than Mellow now. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would certainly agree more. That, what if you're in that all-out retain LeBron mode that you just talked about? I don't think you need to give it up. I think you have the upper hand here on the Knicks. Uh, who, because I think at this point we've kind of figured out that the Rockets just can't get a workable deal without Ryan Anderson then, and the Knicks aren't taking Ryan Anderson because that's an albatross. See, that's I, I'm at the point where I think that Mellow situation is it, it's not ever going to get resolved. He's just going to enter free agency next year. That's interesting. I, uh, do you I, really think he's going to leave 27.9 million on the table? Oh, no, yeah, he's opting in. Well, man. yeah, that's a good point too. Maybe an opt-in and a buyout the year after. That's a long time to be in limbo. With with Porzingis getting more and more uh, disinterested by the day. Yeah, I, mean, no. I think there's a chance that he would opt out because no some way. team would probably still give him well, could you, 4 and 40. Could you imagine if he goes? I think the fact that he's not, that we're hearing, obviously I think Houston is probably the better situation for him, but yes. that he's pinned it down to this one team at this point, and we assume that Cleveland would still be in play if they wanted to really pony up the first-round pick and the salaries to get him or if the Knicks are ready to lower whatever their asking price might be if he doesn't go the fact again that he just pinned it down to this one team what does that kind of say about lebron's future in cleveland because the last thing you want to do if you're mellow yeah. if you're planning on opting in because you know it's going to take you probably on next year's market at least three years to recoup all that money you're not going to want yep. to go to cleveland and opt in to a team that doesn't have lebron anymore yeah i mean i think he's obviously would prefer to go to houston but it if it's between because if Houston just can't make a deal happen, I think he'll go to Cleveland if that's his alternative. And at least so it'll be me, up to him. And he can out, opt in and take out a buyout. The, lay out the expiring contracts. Cle- it, it, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, Cleveland has so, enough money to send that are that is expiring? So the only non-expiring deal is Shump, who has a player option. But I, I read a report. I think it was a Woj report from like, this was like from six months ago. So bear in mind, it might be dated and I might be missourcing, but... Uh, I saw something along the lines of that uh, there were someone reported that Shump was people around the league thought Shump might opt out by just overvaluing his value on the free market, which sounds like a very Iman Shumpert thing to do. But he does have two years, 20 million left on his uh, deal. Uh, but everyone else, uh, Fry is expiring. Uh, they would have to send Richard Jefferson, who has one more year expiring, but the, well, he has two years left, but the second year is unguaranteed. Uh, okay. They have uh, Eddie Tavares and Kay Felder, who are both unguaranteed. So that's for this year. So you could. So basically, to, they'd be on the hook for ten million for Shumpert. Yeah, and that's at the worst case scenario if he does opt in. Yeah, I guess that. Now that you lay it out that like that, it does that does make some sense to me. Yeah, it's like not. If they like, just want to get out from right. under that mellow deal. And in a, in at least as a front office. From a PR perspective, because I think we underrate how much that PR, how much selling the move to the public matters. Yeah. You can say, hey, we were in a really bad spot here, but we, in our cap, looked terrible, but we shed a ton of long-term salary, and we got a first-round pick. Now, the press release isn't going to say that that first-round pick is going to be 26, but yeah. it's at least an easier sell than just saying, here's a straight salary dumper. Hey, we just bought him out. 
Yeah, now, and that actually does make some sense to me. It, it yeah. would just, the only thing that would just make me uneasy is you're kind of steering into, it seems, just the all-offense model with Melo. Oh, but, sure. So that's... But you're not really giving up any rotation. The only rotation player you're giving up in this dump would be Fry, who can't play against the Warriors anyway. One thing about Melo, too, like I, it is all-offense kind of a move, but if he's playing the four, he's more switchable than Kevin Love is. Sure. And he's like, not. I mean, he can. He's not going to guard positionally. And he, to be yeah, he's, he's not going to guard wings well, but at least he can kind of do it. And he gets up against certain players. You could just tell. I don't. And it, I would never even say that he'd be an average defender or someone that you want to toss on, even Clay Thompson necessarily, uh, or let alone Kevin Durant or even Draymond Green. But he, when he's facing, you can see it when he goes up against LeBron. You can see it when he goes up. Um, is switched on to Wade or something. You can see it when he goes up against Jimmy Butler for a possession or two at a time. Like, he just locks in, and he's not obviously a good defender, but it's it's just a different mindset. And maybe when he's playing in meaningful games again, particularly the NBA Finals, that it kind of triggers that sort of J.R. Smith about face we saw a couple of years ago where it's like, hey, he's not terrible right now. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I just think he can just... find that zone more consistently if he's playing alongside LeBron. You would think. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not a magic elixir, and you know, the more casual fans would think that they're that there's no chance they'd lose after it. And I don't think they'd be. I don't think anyone would say they're better than Golden State after that move. But no. you know, if, if the cost is the 26th pick of the 2018 draft, Channing Fry and Iman Shumpert and a couple rookies, come on. Yeah. So let's just assume. Uh, even if you want to th- bake in the fact that Wade is probably coming at some point midseason, but just looking at this roster as it is now, what are kind of what's your floor? What's your pessimistic projection for this team, and what's your optimistic projection for them, uh, just relative to win totals and I guess where they'll stand in the East? But that's a, that's a pretty given at this point. I think their floor is about fifty, and their ceiling is about like fifty-seven, fifty-eight. Uh, I think that with these good teams. I think we're understating the way they're stretching out the schedule and the way that they're avoiding back-to-backs. I saw the Cavs have the fewest back-to-backs in the NBA this season. Um, And I think that that the top-heavy teams are going to skew higher. The uh, the overs for the the top teams in the league are going to be a really good bet this year, even though it's normally not a good bet because there's going to be way less schedule losses than we're used to with the season starting two, three weeks earlier. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah that makes I would sense. Think so. Like, how many how many games did, can you fade a really, really good team as a gambler when you just know it's their fourth game in five nights or their first game home after a seven-game road trip? Like, there's just easy gambling angles that are really going to get chopped up a little bit, and I think favorites are going to, do a lot better than we're used to do used to seeing because of that. There you go. Betting advice added in with a record projection for all the gamblers <laughs> out there. Uh, I'm, I'm a half degenerate. I'm not a real degenerate, but I'm like almost there. You're no Where do you have him, Dan? Uh, I, ha- I would say I, I like his ceiling for them. I think they're going to end up about 54, 55 because the East is a mess. I am not high on the Celtics or the Raptors at all this year. Uh, we do still have to take into account, I guess, with the less rest for LeBron, we're assuming that he's going to play more games or maybe he'll go harder because he has more rest overall that they jump and make this huge leap into the late 50s. 
I think I'm a little bit more pessimistic when it comes to their floor. Not necessarily the odds of them reaching it, but I could kind of see them almost finishing with under 50 victories somehow. Like, if you don't get Isaiah Thomas back until January, February, and he comes back and he's not the same, and LeBron and Derrick Rose just never forge any kind of chemistry, and, and he's forced to shoulder an even heavier burden uh, than he has been since he came back. I, I could honestly see them ending up at, let's say, 48-49, which is not a disaster scenario because they don't give two craps about playoff seeds, but I could see things still going sideways for them. That being said, if, you, if, we're, if you're going to tell me they get a half season of a healthy Isaiah Thomas, uh, I would bet that they would end up with, uh, I'm going to say 55 would be my guess for them then. I'm going to say floor is mid-50s. What? I'm, I'm higher than both of you guys. Whoa. I didn't know we were I drinking hear. during this podcast. <laughs> go, go ahead and uh, go ahead and put the money on that over. I think they're what's their total at fifty three and a half. LeBron is going to be. I think he's going to be in rare form this season. I do think Kevin Love is going to get a, a fairly significant bump. Um, I think Jay Crowder helps a ton. If Isaiah Thomas is like his old self in January, that's huge. Um, and I'm I'm fairly confident, even though they don't. LeBron hasn't really cared about the regular season in almost a decade. I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to finish first. I that's fine, but to have their floor at the mid fifties just feels like incredible. And I would add too what you said about the East. I, I think they're going to beat up on some terrible teams. We didn't touch on that season, so. either. That, what you said, Bailey, like LeBron is going to be like he might be chasing. I think he's going to be amazing. MVP. Yeah, that, I didn't. Uh, I think seeing what I think seeing all of the attention that James Harden and Russell Westbrook got for like just completely hijacking their team's offenses, I, I think he might think I I know I can do that and I know I can do it more efficiently than those guys. You know, it's so funny I think we could see that, a crazy year from him. Well, you know what I can guarantee for this season for the Cavaliers, they're going to lose every single game to the Nets that they play. Just as I bonkers. They're going to soak up whatever fines Adam Silver is going to levy. Just they're going to bench everybody just to let. No, him I'm saying, they're, I, yeah, they're well. No, they. I mean, they want to beat the Nets uh, from an incentive oh, yeah. standpoint, and they're going to lose just because I know how this team works. And even when things are great, they'll still drive you crazy. That seems like a good spot to end. Um, thanks for coming <laughs> on, Carter. Yeah, really appreciate for your insight. Um, let everyone know your. Twitter handle and where all they can find your work. You can at me at Carter underscore shade. Uh, you can find my work at fearthesword.com. Uh, busy summer as always. And uh, we're really looking forward to this year at that site. And then uh, if you want to hear mo- more of my dulcet tones with a, a little side of Winnipeg, uh, you can, <laughs> you can uh, subscribe to the chase down um, my podcast with Justin Rowan. All right. Guys, go subscribe to the Chase Down. Leave it a review and a, and a rating. Um, do the same for us. We would really appreciate that. Ratings, reviews are great for podcasts. Dan, of course, is on Twitter as well. He's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And as always, um, much to Dan's chagrin, we have to end the show with the shout-out to Bino Udri. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... 
Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Covered California knows that one moment can change your life. That moment you say, I do. That moment you meet your baby for the first time. Or even that moment you lose your job and your health insurance along with it. For those times when life changes, we've got you covered. Covered California lets you choose from brand name health plans. And you may even get help paying for it. Your enrollment period is limited. So find out if you qualify by getting free expert help at CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.